Good morning and welcome to Elam Lutheran Church and welcome to our online service too this morning. Uh, we're going to open with that great hymn, Come Thou Fount. Uh, please stand and uh, if you do sing, kindly just sing about the level you would just talk. I guess most of you are aware that that singing and loud talking projects more than than um, the other side of the coin. So uh, join us. Come thou fount. Just a few announcements this morning. I think the call committee has an announcement. Okay. I can't breathe. I have a mental medical condition. Okay. Uh, almost immediately, uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm Peter Faber. I'm one of the deacons here. Um, almost immediately after Pastor Luke left, the deacon committee um, nominated a group of three people to form the call committee to uh, beat the bushes and find the, help find the next pastor uh, for the Elam congregation. Uh, the three people nominated are Ruth LaBerge, I think she's on travel, Sherry Russell, and myself, that's why I'm standing here. And since about mid-April, 
We've been in conversation with the AFLC headquarters back in Plymouth, Minnesota, if you know where that is. No, not God's country. This is God's country. They vacationing back there, apparently. And so we tried to generate a pool of uh, potential pastoral uh, candidates. They provided us a list of names, and we've also utilized a couple of local pastors, uh, one in Calvary, one in um, uh, Our Redeemer, as a local advisors to help us stay on task. And basically what we have been doing is gathering uh, audio and video sermons from these pastors, as well as any uh, private personal contact. What we look at in the sermons is uh, we try to figure out if the public persona of the pastor uh, matching up with the private comments for some consistency, conformance with Elam's theological requirements that are in the Constitution, if you're unaware that in the Constitution and bylaws we list what we require a, a pastor to subscribe to and believe. And we also took a look at the capability of the pastor of fitting in here at Elam, sort of a cultural compatibility review, uh, if that makes any sense to you. And uh, if you hadn't heard much about what we're doing, then we've been successful. Number one issue for pastors who are currently serving somewhere else is confidentiality. But the first focus for us was on a pastor who wasn't serving somewhere, and he was at, a, at the college, actually. And after a few conversations with him, we thought we were prepared to sit down and meet, and then he and his wife declined to pursue the call further. So right now, we have a pool that came to us ranked from the headquarters of about 10 pastors. So there's actually a fairly sizable pool of pastors to chat with, and we're focused on the first, I think, first four, three, four of those. And um, what else to tell you about that? Uh, we have a follow-up call with the very first pastor on that list uh, this coming Saturday, so we'll have, probably have a little more to report, uh, not this coming Sunday, but the Sunday thereafter. Uh, in terms of questions, uh, the Council is supposed to be arranging when we will have a vote on the uh, formal membership to the call committee. We haven't heard that. Is Brian? Nope. So we haven't heard when that date will come, but anticipate that. And um, in the meantime, we appreciate your inputs, any insights you may have in terms of pastoral selection or uh, something comes to mind. You can give either Sherry or Ruth LaBerge or myself an email, a call, a text. All our numbers and so forth are in there. I just wanted to let you know the call committee is up, going, has been doing something, is working since mid April. And uh, trying to deal with the coronavirus thing is uh, probably the biggest. It, yeah, Sherry, yeah, I missed something. what Sherry said, yeah, we, when we are not uh, looking at videos or uh, listening to audio sermons, we're in prayer together. If there are no questions, I'm done. Thank you. All right, <clears throat> let's move on.
Whom shall I fear? Continue with your mercy. 
stay standing for the scripture reading. Continuing on in the first letter of John, today the first two verses of the second chapter. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Now, you all may be seated, and we have the opportunity to hear the testimony that the compromands are going to be sharing. And I, did you guys figure out who's going to share first? All right, let's go. Come on. morning. Uh, I've believed in Jesus my whole life. Recent events really improved my relationship with God. One example is two years ago when I first started uh, junior confirmation, I just felt more involved with the church. Another example is going to fly. It helped me see the amount of people that believe in Jesus like me, and that encouraged me to tell people when they ask that I believe in Christ. But fly also strengthened my relationship with God. Jesus really was a part of me when my grandfather passed away. He sent me one of my best friends and he helped me get through it. Before that, I, would, I wouldn't try and bring my friends to church. But after I have some of my good friends to come to church with me. So the verse I chose is Joshua 24, 14. And it says, Fear the Lord and serve him sincerely and faithfully. Let's break it down. Fear the Lord, love him with your faithfulness. Second, serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Be faithful, and if you truly believe in him, then he's faithful. If you want to make the same choice I did, you're welcome to. You can do it by coming to church or doing confirmation or something else. But if you believe in him, believe that <laughs> believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins with all your heart, you should be good. I was born, and I 
instruction. May the Lord through his Holy Spirit so awaken your hearts that you may be able to attest a sincere confession both before God and in the presence of this congregation. And so I ask you, do you renounce the devil and all his works and all his ways? If so, answer, I do. And do you believe in God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? If so, answer, I do. Do you promise, by the grace of God, to continue steadfast in this covenant of your baptism, even unto the end? If so, answer, I do. And finally, do you promise to remain faithful to the teaching of the Christian church and to be diligent in the use of the means of grace, if so, answer, I do. Noah, the family, come close. Yeah, Peter, you want to join me up here too? As we lay hands and as God gives you words of prayer for him, feel free to share those. May the triune God, who in holy baptism has adopted you as his child and made you to be an heir of eternal life, May he preserve you in the grace of your baptism and grant you steadfastness in your faith to the salvation of your souls. Amen. The words of our Lord Jesus, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear much fruit and that your fruit would abide. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would surround Noah with the fullness of the grace that he needs. Set his feet on paths of righteousness. Rightly light the path before him for his feet to walk, following you. Guide him, guard him, and keep him in your grace and favor. If you pray in the glorious name of Jesus, I pray for you. May the triune God, who in holy baptism has adopted you as his child and made you to be an heir of eternal life, may he preserve you in the grace of your baptism and grant you steadfastness in your faith to the salvation of your souls.
It is our Lord Jesus who invites you with the words, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle, and you will find rest for your souls. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would guide Ethan. Evan, thank you that you would guide Evan, that you would help his ears to be open to the whispering of your spirit, that he would be saying yes to you as you lead, that he would follow in your peace and your grace. Guide him and fill him with your joy. Surround him with your protection. And let him shine to the praise of your glory in all that he does. We pray it, Lord Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. You may stand. And it is now in the name of our Lord Jesus, whom you have confessed and promised to serve, and on behalf of Elam Lutheran Congregation, I declare that you are hereby authorized to receive the Lord's Supper. You're invited to participate in all the spiritual privileges that our Lord gives to his church. We pray your blessing, Lord Jesus, strength, that these would bear witness with their words and with their walk to the praise of your glory. We pray, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Now, just so the congregation is aware, a little bit later on, we're going to have them come forward as family and commune. I'll commune the, commun uh, the newly confirmed. Everyone else, you hopefully have your own individual packets, and you will prepare them for yourself. But that's something that will take place a little bit after the sermon is shared. You bet. God's blessing. Y'all can hit on that. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. Well, Heavenly Father, we pray now that you would use this time as we consider your word, that we would hear your voice and know your love and grace, that we would be reminded, Lord Jesus, that we're not in this alone, but, but you are the one who is here by our side, and not only by our side, but that of the Father, bearing witness to the truth, Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, we're going to be looking at those first two verses of 1 John. 
chapter 2. And you heard them. They're just such small but powerful words. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. First of all, one of the things that we hear in this word is good news for us. Sinners like you and like me, we have someone advocating for us. We are not in this alone. If any of you sin, by the way, <clears throat> besides me, anyone else around here sin? I see about every single hand. This is a word that God brings straight to your mind and into your heart. If any of you sin, or when any of you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. The Greek word, when it uses to talk about advocate, is, is the word uh, parakaletos. It's where the word paraclete is used frequently to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's what Jesus talks about in, in, in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, I will send another advocate. I will send another counselor. I will send another comforter to be with you, the Holy Spirit. I will send that to you. It's the same word that it talks about, not only later on about the Holy Spirit, who continues the ministry of Jesus, but describes the very ministry of Jesus himself. He is one who comes to be an advocate, one who comes to stand by your side. Sort of like a, a pair of crutches. When you're sort of broken, you need crutches to help. Back in my high school days, we had uh, a very, within our high school class, and this was back in the dark ages, we were soon to receive a new invention called the book. I mean, it was so long ago. But there was a fellow in my class, and he was very proud to be an agnostic. And for those of us who were living out our faith and sharing our trust in Jesus, this particular person always gave us a bad time. And he would say, oh, you Christians, your Jesus is just a crutch. Oh, I can't tell you how frustrated I got. In fact, me and my best friend, we went to talk to our youth director. And we went into Dick's office and, and we said, we've got a real problem with a classmate of ours. Well, what's the problem? Well, he keeps saying that Jesus is just a crutch. And our youth director, Dick, said, wow, Jesus is just a crutch? Yeah! And then he says, well, what's a crutch do? Well, a crutch is something you bear to, to give you stability and strength when you're too weak on your own. When you limp along, the crutch is there to help you. And then he asked, so what does Jesus do for you? And my friend and I got pretty silent. And then Dick looked at us and he says, you know, maybe 
your friend has a better understanding of the gospel than you do. You're not just limping, you're broken. And without Jesus there, more than a crutch, Jesus is an entire emergency room. He's an entire ICU for you. All of a sudden, it gave us a different view of our friend because he saw something in us that we didn't. And that was, we needed a crutch. And even more, well, Jesus is the one who is the advocate. He is one who comes and advocates on our behalf. It, it suggests, even in the way he says it, that not only is it one who is there to give aid, but is capable of doing that aid. He just doesn't show up as a pretty face. Jesus comes and he goes to work. It's used in the, the legal and in the justice system to, to talk about who is one who is, as it were, the defense attorney. When the accusations come against you, we've got someone advocating for us. We have the Lord Jesus who is on our side. It says that uh, Jesus has gone in the ascension and one of the jobs that Jesus is doing now is preparing a place for us for beyond life here to be life there. But more than that, we find out that Jesus right now is praying for his people. Jesus is the one who is speaking at the right hand of the Father on behalf of you and me. And, and he knows what we're going through. Ole Halsby, a phenomenal Norwegian Lutheran from back earlier than World War II and during World War II, has written a powerful book on prayer. And where, where Halsby starts his book on prayer is in Revelation 3.20. I'm sure you remember that word. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. That's where Halsby begins his talk on prayer and his teaching. When we come and we pray to Jesus, it's not that he's up there unaware of what we're going through. He knows more about it than we do. Jesus is the one who is on the inside. So many years ago when our youngest son was born, he was born with Down syndrome. He needed emergency surgery when he was four days old to keep him alive. I was in the midst of preparing to become a pastor when David was born. I was on my internship down in the panhandle of Texas. Phenomenal congregation down there. Two of them got to pastor. And as we finished that up, I was a bit ticked at God. I'll be honest, I was ticked. Why? Here I am, I've gone to Bible school, I've finished the army, now I'm giving my life to ministry to him. And he sends us a child that has physical struggles. We didn't need that extra burden. And it wasn't until many months later that my wife noticed 
she's oftentimes much more spiritually perceptive than I am. My wife noticed that I was maybe holding something against God. And as I struggled, I find it, it came to my mind, yeah, I was angry at God. He could have changed that extra chromosome in David's life anywhere along that pregnancy, and he chose not to. Finally came to the point where I said, God, please forgive me because I've been angry at you for what you did. And all of a sudden, there was this sense in my heart that he said, I'm finally happy you've come to realize it. It wasn't a surprise to God. He knew where it was in me. It took me a time to get there to understand that. When God came and forgave me for that, he already knew about it. And he'd been walking with me in the midst of the struggles. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. The, the author to the letter of Hebrews, he, he takes this picture and expands it and most of what he's doing, the author does in Hebrews, is looking back at the way God worked in so many different ways in the Old Testament and shows how Jesus becomes a greater fulfillment of it. I would, I would often joke with the congregation I served down in Salinas, California. I was there a little over 20 years. Salinas is the lettuce capital of the world. 50% of all the loose and head lettuce in our country comes from the Salinas Valley. Even the, the radio station and the big NBC television station went by the call letters KSBW, K because it's on the West Coast, salad bowl for the world. And I would say that, that this letter to the Hebrews was written specifically for the Salinas Valley, because 13 times in the, in the letter to the Hebrews, the writer says, let us, let us press on, let us look to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our, let us, let us, let us. Uh, that's the word, help us, Lord, allow us, let us look to what it is that you've done. Here's what he says in Hebrews 2, verses 17 and 18, therefore, in all things, Jesus had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God and to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he was able to save those who are tempted. Jesus knows where our struggles are not only because he lives within us by the presence of his Holy Spirit, but also because those temptations that have come our way came his way even greater than it comes our way. Or in Hebrews chapter 4, starting at verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession Contraman, hear those words because they're coming to you as they come to us. Let us hold fast our profession 
our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. Let us flee to Jesus because he knows what we're going through. He, our confession of sin isn't a surprise to him. He knows our weakness. He lived through and never succumbed but he knows the temptations. Jesus is advocating for us, taking up our cause. That son of ours, David, now 41, is a mighty man of prayer. As a youngster, uh, with Down syndrome come a number of other writer gifts, as it were. Some have digestive problems like David did, some have heart problems. David also had eyeball problems in the fact that when he was nine-year-old, he had to have a cataract fixed in his left eye. And then a couple years later, had one fixed in his right eye. Whenever I would go to pray for people before their cataract surgery, I would always take David with me because he knows where these people are going to go because he's been there. He would advocate for them in prayer, even better than David prays for people going through cataract surgery and now probably digestive surgery in the, in the months and years to come. Jesus knows even better because he knows not only the physical things we're going through, but how that impacts our emotions, how that impacts our spirituality. He knows where the fears are. And Jesus stands before the Father, or maybe sits on the Father's right hand, and he whispers in his ear, I want you to be with whoever that person is for what they are going through. And he knows how to pray. In 1 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, For there is one God, and there is one mediator, an intermediate, between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Or in John 14, Jesus said that he would ask the Father to send another paraclete, another helper, another counselor. He would ask the Father to send another counselor. That word another doesn't just mean one more, but it is one more in the same style. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He is continuing the work that Jesus began in his ministry here on earth. Jesus present now in heaven praying for us. We have one advocating for us sinners. And also, Jesus, that one who advocates, is actually our mercy seat. Here's what it says in verse 2. He, that is Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You are probably like me, I would guess, that 
If you were to look at your vocabularies during the last week, the number of times you have said, hmm, I need someone to propitiate for me, or any other variation of propitiation, how many would have zero listed on your scorecard? It's not something that we use very frequently. In fact, years ago, I struggled trying to find out what in the world does that mean? And so what I would do back in the Dark Ages, I would look at what other translations translated at. I got a whole pile of them that said propitiation, and then finally there was a breakthrough. I got to a translation, and it said, Jesus, not the propitiation, Jesus is the expiation for our sin. Yippee! I didn't understand that any better either. And so I went and did some deeper studying. And what the picture of that word is, is the same picture of the mercy seat. And if you remember the, the process of, of the Old Testament, that once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest, after having made sacrifice for his sins, would come with the blood of the sacrificed animal and into the holiest of holy places, the most holy place of all, where sat the, the Ark of the Covenant and, and on the lid were those cherubim with the, with the wings outstretched almost like a, a throne. That was the mercy seat. And the high priest would come in with the blood of the sacrificed animal and he would splash it, pour it on the mercy seat. And in that action, the sins of the people were wiped out. The most holy day of the year, in the most holy place on earth, the mercy seat. All sin was taken care of. That's the word propitiation. It is the picture of the mercy seat that God has set for us. Jesus is the, the mercy seat, the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world also for the sins of the whole world. Does that mean that because Jesus' blood has cleansed the sinfulness judgment against the whole world that everyone's going to be saved? Well, not if you read what Scripture says, that's not the case. The sin has been taken care of. There's only one thing now that separates those who will be saved and those who will not be saved. And that is, do they trust that that mercy seat work of Jesus was for them? For God so loved the people of the Lutheran Church that he gave his only son. Is that what it says? Well, in part, God so loved the world. And I want to tell you, my mind often wants to reinterpret that to say, for God so loved the people of the world that he gave his only son. But that's not what it says. 
for God so loved the, the Greek word, cosmos. For God so loved the creation that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish, but would have eternal life. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. It's not just humans that look forward to, to the restoration that comes in salvation, but the entirety of God's creation, his whole cosmos. He loved the cosmos so much that he sent his only son. Paul, writing in Romans chapter 8, talks about the, the whole creation is almost on tiptoes looking for the restoration so that Things will be as God designed, where, where the lion and the lamb can lay down together. And the little child can have an asp for a pet. Where restoration is exactly what God has designed. And for those who trust that what Jesus did on the cross his shed blood brought in and becoming our mercy seat for those who trust, who believe what God has done is for them. It has been done. For those who choose not to believe, it will not be efficacious. It will not work for them. Through his death on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for all the sins I've done and will do. Jesus' death on the cross paid for everything that is deviated in your life from his perfect plan. And whether we call it mistakes or ustas or say it like God does, sin, The word sin simply means missing the mark like an arrow shooter. An archer would miss the mark. Yeah, but I got a six point instead of a ten point. Oh, you missed the mark. I was close. Yeah, no cigar. It doesn't work. As we trust that what he has done has been done for us, we will experience the fullness of his grace and favor. For he is the mercy seat for our sins, not ours only, but for sins of the whole world. God's taken care of it. I invite you by the power of his Holy Spirit to trust that he has taken care of it for you. And I would pray, Lord Jesus, that we would see you for who you are, that you are the one who is our mercy seat. The price that you paid has taken care of it. And as we limp along, Lord, help us remember that you have begun and you will complete the process of recreating us and your entire creation 
for the praise of your glory and for the good of your people. In your thankfulness, Lord Jesus, we pray it in your name. Amen. We're going to get ready for gathering around this wonderful table that God invites us to, to be a part of. But it's always wise for us to make sure that we put our trust, make our confession, and remember His promise to us. I'd invite you to stand. Again, it is from the first letter of John, the first chapter. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I invite you to take a few moments, come before him, speak silently the truth of your life, and then we wait together to hear the truth of his promise. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is now the promise that he has given to you through his word that to you who have confessed your sins and believe his promise, you have been forgiven by God to his glory to your good. Amen. I invite you to get your packets ready. Our Lord Jesus, on that night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and then he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after that supper was ended, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink of this, all of you. This is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Just do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Together. Let's pray the prayer our Lord has taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. We invite the countrymans and their families to come forward and congregation as your hearts are ready. I invite you to communion for all is ready.
invite you to stand to receive the blessing of God who loves you so very much. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with the greatest of all his favor and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.